0: Global shortages are causing farm input costs to skyrocket. A Better Way to Farm shows you how to take control of inputs and maximize profits so you can farm the way you want. Now, from America's heartland,
1: here's your host. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. I'm sure you know by now we at A Better Way to Farm spend each and every day providing solutions to farmers to grow better crops and to make more money. I'm never surprised by the content that we provide you as listeners. I'm glad that I'm just the beauty behind the mic and not the brains behind the wheel. So on today's episode, we put together something designed by some artificial intelligence. Karen reached out to a popular app that provides us with the content that we're going to discuss today in today's episode. Now, ChatGTP is an artificial intelligence chatbot developed by OpenAI. It was released uh, just a few months ago as an app and and quickly is becoming the fastest-growing consumer software app in history. It does, however, provide some misinformation, (laughs) so please do not believe everything you read and hear from ChatGTP. But I want to mention that we should welcome to the show a favorite guest of ours and kind of get this whole chatting process started. So from our hearts to your ears – Please help welcome our favorite social media star, Mr. A Better Way to Farm, Rod Livesey himself. So, Rod, thank you very much for joining us today. I'm excited about this. It's a little bit of a different episode, but I I, I love how Karen comes up with the content for this stuff because she will just come up with this idea or we maybe have a great interview or whatever. And this one is really unique using this chat GTP function uh, that she came up with to, to kind of provide some, some content. So... I don't know. Do you want me to go ahead and and get started with kind of the first one on the list about this lack of consistent results and and research on foliar applications of liquid fertilizer to soybeans and kind of address that situation first?
0: Yeah, just a second. I just want to give a big shout out to Karen. For those of you that don't know her, she's just an amazing young lady and she does a great job of, of giving us guidance and helping us. And we're going to go through part of these. We're not going to get through all of them. But Tyler, why don't you talk about this first topic that came up? This was a list of things that were like, kind of like what's wrong with foliar feeding or (laughs) what would be some things. And so this is what the AI said. So talk to us. What is this lack of consistent results in research on foliar application? How do you address that?
1: So to me, the biggest thing is when you look at a lack of consistent results with anything Especially with what we believe to be true, like foliar feeding in soybeans, especially using liquid fertilizer, you know, a lot of the industry is going to say, don't do it. There's no beneficial gain. You can't get those results. But we've worked with growers for years and years and years that when done correctly, when you follow the true four R's of nutrient stewardship, you can get beneficial yield increases from foliar applications of liquid fertilizer even on soybeans. I just talked with a grower a couple of days ago, and and that is his plan for now. Uh, they couldn't do anything in furrow on soybeans, of course, but that's where he's going. So the problem is, is that most of the data is done, you know, whether it's universities or another company, they're not doing it the right way. We'll all go out there and say, hey, the, the four R's, you know, the right place, source, rate, time, That you know, that we all believe in that, but let's not do it because it doesn't fit, with our system. And that's where it works with us is that beneficial increase in yield on soybeans works with our system because that's what we do. I
0: totally agree with that. You know, and I think it ties into the next topic. They talk about a lack of responsive data. (laughs) Well, the bottom line is guys, I mean, you can get our ebook. Let me give a big shout out to uh, Karen who helped us put together. Karen and Kayla did a great job putting out that ebook on full air feeding. And I'm going to recommend you reach out and you get your hands on that thing. But when we do it, like Tyler said, consistency comes from consistently doing it correctly. Yep. And we're not going to get into what that is exactly, but because you can get it in ebook, you can listen to a different podcast and get that. But we're going to get consistent response when we get consistent proper action. Another part of that was inconsistent sales tactics. <laughs> and and you know, Tyler, as I look at the industry, it drives me crazy because. A lot of these people, they come out, you know, they don't tissue test, right. they don't, they don't get what they need. They just come out and say, Hey, Mr. Yep. Farmer, why don't you try some? Yeah, absolutely. There's no science behind <laughs> try some. <laughs> try some actually when you put it into English, it means I need some commission. So you ought to buy this. Right. Okay. And that's not what we're doing. We're all about running the tissue test and putting on exactly what we need. And when we do that, we get a better sales tactic because we now we're doing what's right for the grower. Yes. And we get that consistent response. Let's talk a little bit about translocation within the plant because there's a big argument. Some people say this won't fertilizer won't move within the plant when you fully feed it. What do you say to that, Tyler? Yeah.
1: So fertilizer nutrition, you know, they say, right, the common folks say that it's too large to go up into the plant cell. Well, again, one of the things that we know about the science behind it, if we do it at the right time, you know, do it at at night. We've all been, well, hopefully you've seen soybeans at night. You go out there at midnight, one o'clock in the morning, the leaves are folded down. It's almost laying flat, looks like a Christmas tree. And what that plant is trying to do is just take the day's activity and open up the stomata on the backside of the plant. It lets out the moisture of the day. And it allows that plant to breathe and so that it kind of recoup its losses for the next day. So we know that if we get foliar nutrition out in that plant at that time, that it can actually get taken up into the stomata, the plant. The other side of that is we have some chemistry that we work with that will also help through ionic exchange and all these fancy just scientific words, but it'll help the exchange of the nutrients to pass through leaf tissue, get through the waxy cuticle, get up into that leaf tissue. So again, we know that we can, our system can penetrate into that plant. And that when you look at some of the studies, we talked about this before, whether it's on the podcast, social media, even in our two day fundamental of agronomy events that we have, A lot of this research by universities was done in the afternoon. You know, we're not going to have a college kid. We've all been in college and we all know what are we doing at midnight on a Friday night, at 10 o'clock on a Friday night. Not (laughs) full air feeding. Not full (laughs) air feeding. So that's where some of these results are coming from and why some of this stuff. Is a little bit skewed, and they say, "Oh, there's no way." You know, we know that the the roots are what take up the nutrition. Well, we actually do know that some of this nutrition can come through that plant tissue. Ultimately, yes, we want to stimulate the the roots for growth. The roots are going to go down; they're going to find the more the more than mineralized nutrition and bring it up into the plant.
0: You know, the bottom line is though you you triggered two thoughts in there for me, Tyler. Number one. Yes, it does come in through the stomata, and yes, it also going through the cuticle. If you use the right products, <laughs> yes. number one, you got to have the right fertilizer, and you got to have the right micronutrients with the right chelation, so you have the right charge. You also have to have the right NIS non ionic surfactant to get that to spread. Because again. We're talking about putting fertilizer in through a hole that has a diameter of one nanometer. Yeah. And that's a thousandth of the thickness of a sheet of paper. (laughs) So it's really small. So we got to get that to spread and then that charge. And again, to get translocation, that has to do with whether or not we maintain the correct charge of that nutrient that's going in there. That's why the chelation is so important. Tyler, I want to jump ahead here and talk about one of the land grant universities who shall remain nameless from up north. And they did a collaboration with a bunch of other schools. And they basically came out and they said, look, fool air feeding doesn't work. Yep. That was it. Yep. And I want to go back. You talked about this because here's the problem. We've got a lot of people, you know, I, I think back to when I was a kid and the grain elevator was open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all through fall. Yep. And when you're in springtime, the applicators were working 18, 20, 22 hours a day, seven days a week. And now we see those businesses running like conventional businesses. And it's not a judgment call but they're working eight to five. You yeah. know, they're going to work eight to five. A lot of them are working five days a week and eight to five is probably the worst nine hours to foliar feed and be successful.
1: Do you One, agree? 100% agree. Yes, you know, absolutely. all of this
0: foliar feeding should be done before eight o'clock and yeah. after five o'clock. Right. So Great. really five to eight is the prime time. <laughs> all right. And so I'm going to submit that they weren't doing it at the right time. Right. I'm going to submit they very likely didn't have the right product. Correct. I'm going to submit that it ended up in the wrong place. They didn't have the right place because we confuse foliar air feeding with broadcast spraying. Yes, exactly. You know, if we don't have 65 pounds of pressure, if we're not using less than 10 gallon of solution, then we're just broadcast spraying, so the product's going on the ground. Mm-hmm. No future in that. Then we also get into that right time, and we know that we equate time with temperature, and we've got to be below 85 degrees. That's just the bottom line. Absolutely. So, and then there's the staging also the right time, you know, where we at the right stage. And so I want to address that because nothing against those people, but I can take, you know, we can take a test and make sure that it fails. Failure is easy to oh, prove. Yeah. Agreed? Yes. But yeah. we also know Tyler, you and I've been doing this a long time. And we've got countless people who fully are feed year after year after year. Why are they doing that?
1: Because it works. We know the true four R's. And the crazy thing is, I say this all the time, it's not magic, it's science. The four R's, it, is, it was something that was created as this marketing scheme, right? To So it looks good and, and we're all going to be stewards of the land. But then the people that promoted it don't actually take advantage of it. But when you sit there and you think about it and you do it the right way, all of a sudden you get those results. And that to me is the crazy thing. Now, I was just talking to a new guy on the phone before we came down for this meeting, and I love it when growers say, because I know, Rod, you run into this a lot. Well, you know, I, I hear on the podcast platform, I see it on the social media, or I I hear it from, you know, one of the friends that, you know, they've been successful with it, but I need to try it on my own farm. And, and I said, you know what? I, I love it. I believe it. If you've got to try it for yourself, that's absolutely fine. But again, I've been doing this since 2014. I know it works you've been doing this for a few years before 2014. I know you know it works. And that's what I love about it. When you do it the right way, all of this can come together and increase your yield, whether you're talking corn, soybeans, wheat, canola, sugar beet, I mean, you name it, it's going to work.
0: Absolutely. And you know, several of these, uh, as I look through these topics that were kicked out here, several of them had to do with fertilizer going in through the roots, with it's more prudent to put fertilizer on in the spring, yeah. a lot of things like that. Well, let me just suggest this. Actually, to me, I think the coolest thing that foliar feeding does is whether you're doing corn or canola or soybeans or grain sorghum, whatever it is, the number one thing that we do with foliar feeding is we excite that plant. Yep and then we grow a lot more roots, we agree. The roots is the best way to take it in. The question is, what can I do to make the roots more effective? And foliar feeding does that, and it makes it a lot more effective. And so that's what we're looking at as we go out here to do this, is to really excite that plant, set it up for the most advantageous yield that we can lay our hands on.
1: And we are not saying that you can completely replace your fertility program by foliar feeding. We say that constantly. So as you're listening to this, don't sit there and think, oh man, you know what? And and instead of investing in furrow jets to put my, you know, down in the wings for my soybeans, because we know we can't go in furrow or, you know what, instead of going in furrow on my corn or whatever, I'll just run these foliar programs. Yeah. If you foliar feed five, six, eight times, then maybe you can get that nutrition out there. But we need to look at that base fertility program, starting with the soil test, building that program up, and then using the tissue tests to figure out where we need to be on this foliar feeding aspect so that you can continue to see those results. I wanted to share that real quick because I know that we get that question a lot. Well, can I just not put down my base fertility and use the foliar feeding program as a main source of our nutrition
0: you know we're sitting here at the marriott we're at a meeting i appreciate you coming down to this this meeting that we're at and your input here but i I think of the the foliar feeding kind of like when they built this marriott here it's really cool to build the penthouse that's where it's really fun you know and it's it's a cool place but the bottom line is, you can't build the penthouse. Till you dig the footings. Now, yeah. there's not much glamour in digging a footing, right? Okay, but if you don't dig the footing right, the penthouse is never going to stand. Yeah. and that's the deal here. We want to build that foundation with appropriate soil levels. We want to build that foundation, especially with row placed nutrients, doing everything yeah. we can do. Yes, you know what I'm saying. And then when we turn around and then we foliar feed, that's when it's going to become successful. Why don't you take one of these other topics here that you'd like to share? So
1: I, you know, my love and my passion for nitrogen. So when I came across this discussion from this chat bot, and it talked about the studies on nitrogen application showing inconsistent results. And to me, I absolutely love that because, again, we have grower after grower. I just talked to some growers a couple weeks ago. And they brought up anhydrous burn. You know, we unfortunately, across the I-States, across the Midwest, across the entire United States, we're in a drought now. And a lot of that anhydrous that got put on, a lot more growers are starting to see burn with it. And, you know, they ask about timing or whatever. And I made that joke. I said, well, you know, if you would just put on some 32, you wouldn't have that type of situation. Yes, you absolutely can burn the corn down. You can burn the house down anytime you're foliar feeding 32, 28% because it's done wrong. Correct. We need to do it the right way. Yep. But what we recommend if you go out there and a weed and feed or you're putting it on, maybe it's a two by two dribbling out the back of the planter. And then you come back in a wide drop situation, guess what? To me, those are the right application methods at the right time to get the right results. And so I absolutely love that when there are those studies done by, you know, fertility companies or some of these co-ops that are tied into some of that. And they say, oh, you got to use, you know, fall applied anhydrous ammonia because it's the cheapest or whatever. And and we know that we get inconsistent results from wide dropping. Well, I'm telling you right now, the studies that have been done with the companies that are not tied to some of those industries will absolutely flat out tell you split application, late season nitrogen application, that is the way to increase your your nitrogen use efficiency, if you want to call it that, or even just decrease your input cost on your nitrogen. So I wanted to share that. I wanted to bring that up. We get that question a lot about, you know, nitrogen and the studies that have been done and some of the inconsistent results from the different timing approaches.
0: You know, another thing that was alluded to in this suggested list of topics Was something that was strangely enough. I was sitting by Mason today, and he had a person text him, and I want to talk about that. What the guy was saying was that he don't believe in tissue testing; that it's inconsistent. It's this, it's that, and he said, "And I can prove that because I can walk through that field corner to corner, and I can take a tissue test and a soil test, and there won't be any correlation." (laughs) You know, maybe that you know that that the plant's deficient in something. There's a lot of in the soil, and to my way of thinking, you are correct. That's exactly why you have to tissue test. Yes. You know, one of my first experiences was I went to Arizona when I first got started and I was working with alfalfa growers doing just that. I was soil testing and tissue testing exactly the same place. And it was almost terrifying how many nutrients were excessive in the soil and very short in the plant, literally (laughs) deficient in the plant. And then there would be things that were just barely, barely sufficient in the soil and they would be excessive or at least super substantial within the plant. And the fact of the matter is, guys, no matter how important we think we are, the laws of chemistry trump everything else. I'd like to be better than that, okay? (laughs) But, you know, the the thing, if if we've got a nutrient in there that's excessive, for instance, maybe a phosphorus, and all of a sudden, maybe we don't get the phosphorus in the plant we need because all of a sudden we have a big zinc tie-up, and now we're short on zinc too, this year... We've got guys who put down high K starter. Yep. We've got guys who have base saturations that are almost too high that scare me, six, eight, yep. nine percent. Yep. They're showing a K deficiency. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yet if you do the soil test, it's gonna say you got a lot of K here. Yeah. No water equals no K into the plant. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that go into that. And I just think that, guys, I really want to give you the urge to go out and actually tissue test, see what you can learn, say, here's what we did get in the plant, here's what we didn't. Yeah. Tyler, we're getting close here to the end. Yep. What would you like yep. to say up there?
1: Well, here? I, when you were talking about some of the deficiencies and, and some of the things that can kind of show up, I just got done talking about nitrogen, so that's where it kind of hit me. But we do get those questions on nitrogen on soybeans. Mm-hmm. Should we just rely on mineralization from the rhizobia bacteria that are doing the converting and all that stuff, or should we go out and should we apply a bunch of a nitrogen you know product early on to see if we can boost the yield? What are your stance? I'm going to say, what's the a better way to farm? What's our stance on high yielding soybeans and nitrogen applications in general? Well,
0: I got several thoughts there that you triggered. And number one, we've got a lot of guys that have went to using ammonium sulfate. And they're not sure if they're getting the response to the sulfur or to the end. But let me start with this. If I am not in a high-yielding bean environment, I'm still slugging out 38 bushel, 42 bushel beans. I don't see any benefit because basically they can take all the nitrogen and they they get all they need to make 42 bushel. The question becomes what happens when we get into that uncharted territory of 90 bushel, 110 bushel. And then I think we're going to have to subsidize it some. And you can say, well, mineralization should do it. There's a lot of things that should happen, but they don't. And so from where I said, I believe in this higher yielding environment, we're probably going to need to help it. There's a lot of reasons to look at ammonium sulfate in that application. You got some thoughts
1: you'd like to share? Well, So we even have a product that's PFR proven. It's a foliar nitrogen product with just a a little bit of boron in it. And not only does that work fantastic for running fungicide on corn or wheat or anything like that, but honestly, if you're trying to push yield, you know, maybe that's an opportunity for you to take a look at that, even on your soybeans. Highly recommend if you're shooting for high yield soybeans before you go dump a bunch of nitrogen on, maybe check out your inoculant, your, your source that you're actually providing the rhizobia bacteria with that. But yeah, you can absolutely use some of that nitrogen but firsthand worked with a customer years ago before I joined the team, put down 150 pounds of anhydrous ammonia and and the year ended up to where he had to plant beans. The corn just was not an option, put beans in the ground, didn't hardly make anything, maybe 18, 20 bushel. They got taller than me, which I know I'm very tall, but <laughs> they, you know they get about five and a half foot tall, six foot tall, right? And they just lodge over and fall over and don't produce anything. So again, as you listen to this, think about what you're doing, make sure there's a rhyme and a reason and get the question why answered. Why am I doing this? Why do I use that product? And if you can get that answered, I think you're going to be very, very successful. Absolutely. You know, and I'll wrap this up, Tyler, but I think
0: that when I take a look at that that 26% that we have that's built to ear feed, yeah. I think about how it increases the density. I think about how it increases the seed size and it's working whether it's corn or soybeans. Yeah. It's a VT to R2 product and corn pretty much want to stick at that R2 in the soybeans. But we see a tremendous response to that product in high yielding situations. Yeah. Yes, This is not the place, 100 bushel corn, 40 bushel beans is not the place <laughs> right. to do this. 250 bushel corn, 80 bushel beans. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. So guys, we appreciate you tuning in. I'm going to wrap this thing up. But let me just say this. We do have one of our Fundamentals of Agronomy training programs coming up by Des Moines on July 12th and 13th. And man, if you'd like to go reach out, we would love to talk to you and get you in there and let you grab some stuff. It's a guaranteed program for you. You're going to make money. We promise you that. We guarantee it with a money back guarantee. So take a look at that reach out any way you want, but 641-919-1206, text or call is a great start. Guys, thanks for tuning in. It's an honor to get to be a little bitty part of your life. We look forward to talking to you soon, and we hope you're really having a better day. You're listening on the Verbal Crowd Network. Find more great shows at verbalcrowd.com.